we have something special for you right now. I'm going to start by sharing a few words written by Isabella, a 13-year-old Canadian, as she shares some of the issues she and her friends have had to put up with regarding the unlawful COVID protocols in her school. Isabella wrote about kids being pestered, harassed, and bullied by teachers and staff for not wearing a mask correctly losing privileges if the mask was worn improperly by implementing a three-strike-you're-out policy. For example, Isabella was banned from one of her favorite intramural games because she got caught with her mask down below her nose three times. About the classroom, Isabella says, if you wanted to take your mask off and breathe fresh air, you had to disrupt the class by putting your hand up and asking to have a mask break. I didn't know I had to ask to breathe. Isabella has written a short poem, and we'd like to share that with you right now. Speak. I should be allowed to speak. I should be allowed to scream at the mountain's highest peak. No one can stop me because I am human and I am free. I always have the right to put up a free fight. No one can tell me what to do because I am me and you are you. I am free and no one can do anything to me. I am allowed to speak my mind. I should not be jailed or fined. So much has been stolen from our kids. Isabella's mom says, two years for an adult is one thing, but for children, they can never be given back those time-sensitive milestones and experiences. Isabella, thank you for standing up and speaking out. You are an incredible example and a remarkable leader. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. May God bless you as you stand strong in truth and integrity. And now it's time for me to introduce you to Tanya Gaw, the founder of Action for Canada. Tanya is an amazing freedom fighter who has been working for several years to spread the word about government corruption and the destructive policies that are undermining our country. Tanya loves Canada and her fellow Canadians, and she invites you to stand strong and be empowered as we fight side by side to uphold our constitutional rights and freedoms. She's a woman of faith and integrity and has a wealth of information to share with you. Hello, Tanya. Hi, Heather, and welcome, everybody. Thank you, Heather. I just want to remind everybody that uh, the show starts at the top of the hour, and uh, we always do the orientation in advance because there's a lot of Canadians who are waking up right now, and then they're just learning about Action for Canada. They're just learning you know, that they're coming out of this deception and it's frightful to have that kind of an awakening. So we're going to continue to have that 15 minute orientation at the beginning so that as many as many people as possible continue to be informed. Let them know that there's a huge, massive community out here uh, that are in support of them, that we have resources to help them. Now, I want to get to our guests, but I just want to quickly, uh, Terenzi, if we can just share my page. Uh, we have had uh, a special guest. She's one of our chapter leaders. She's an occupational health and safety 
expert and she has come up with an eye care card and how you use that is you have a duty and an ob obligation if that's if there's harm being done in the workplace or even in the school that you can fill out the eye care card and then you would submit it to your employer or to the principal and they are bound by duty that they have to commence an investigation we've provided a link here so to make it as easy as possible for you by province on anything uh, of the legislation, sorry, per province. So you can just click on that. Like I said, I'm gonna go through it quick. And then here's the presentation that Corrine has given. She, like I said, she's a chapter leader of Action for Canada. She's brilliant. And the PowerPoint um, has also been provided to you. The next thing is to find this youth movement page. We really are focused on, on the youth freedom movement. We want to give our kids a voice. We're going to try to highlight a youth every week on the Empower Hour. We think it's just so important. You can find it under resources. We've added to this page an incredible uh, video by Greg Geary. We mentioned before that we're going to have a program uh, for kids that it'll be uh, eight weeks long. It will be ages 12 to 18 and Greg is amazing we are going he is going to teach kids how to publicly speak communicate and have uh, confidence their confidence will grow through this we're going to talk about the charter and the constitution and have really engaging and interesting information so be ready that is going to be the beginning of April we're going to start that course and we'll make sure that that information is available to you do check out the help and resources, uh, Guide to Peaceful Protesting. I do want to pop up here, Vincent and I, back starting last year, February, when we were talking to pastors and business owners, uh, we had created a step-by-step -step on how to deal with the police. And so it needs to be slightly edited uh, for youth if they find themselves in that position as well. It'll be a PDF so that they can print it off. This week, um, I was highlighting countries that did not fall into tyranny are the ones in which the police, like good men like Vincent and Danny here tonight, and the military sided with the people and not a tyrannical government. I encourage you to go over this action. We've got great resource and information in here. And then at the bottom, we put out a call to action. And I want to give everybody a huge shout out. Thank you so much for being involved. We put a shout out to uh, write the Senate and appeal to them not to support the Emergency Act. And I have uh, contacts who said that the uh, senators were being overwhelmed by the public through calls and emails. That's thanks to you. That's thanks to every Canadian that got involved. These actions are incredibly important. That's why we also want to appeal to you that if you've been harmed in any way by the police, you are to file a complaint. Action for Canada has made it incredibly easy for you to go down by province um, or if it's federal with the RCMP to file a complaint. The other thing I put together was we want to appeal to the top brass in Canada. These are all of the uh, assistant commissioners, deputy commissioners, etc., in the RCMP by division. And then as well as the top brass over here, a few executive people Ottawa Police in Ontario, please reach out to them, call them, email, uh, make an appointment, whatever you can do to let them know we need them to side with us. All right, last thing, uh, next week, uh, we're going to go over that possibly at the end. I'm going to have on uh, Stuart, who is a retired military 
And uh, um, among many other things, he has studied Canadian international law and and um, Canadian law and international law and strongly recognizes that the mandates are criminal offenses and that those involved must be held to account. It's going to be a really incredible time with uh, Stuart. And he put out a video that went viral. And one of the things that he brought to my attention and why we're doing the uh, call to actions and making sure that you're getting information together because Bruno Day was a former Nazi guard and he was found guilty because of being complicit in the murder of more than 5,000 prisoners. This was July of 2020 that this decision was made. He's 93 years old. He was 17 years old when he committed these offenses. So I don't care how long it's going to take us, we are going to hold people to account. So just hang on to your evidence and your information, whether it's against your employee, your elected officials, get out there, contact MPs, continue that call to action. Um, make sure that you're out there rallying outside their office, whether they're there or not, because that is a public display to constituents in that writing saying we are not happy with these people and they need to be removed. All right. So um, stop share screen. Here we are. I'm going to first bring on Vincent. Heather, if you'll come on and do the introduction and then Vincent, and I'll chat for a minute and we'll bring on uh, Danny. And I'm so excited about this evening. It is such a great evening, isn't it? And I'm so pleased to be able to introduce everyone to Vincent Gersey's today. Vincent is a retired 32-year veteran of the Ontario Provincial Police. He is currently a representative of the World Council for Health, as well as a national representative for Police for Freedom. Vincent has been outspoken against the corrupt government narrative and has encouraged active and retired law enforcement officers to stand by their oath as they serve the Canadian public. He is adamant that to serve and protect should never include the violation of Canadians' rights and freedoms or the Constitution. Welcome to the Empower Hour, Vincent. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Never mind the scruff. I, <laughs> I haven't shaven for quite a while and somebody said I should just leave it and for the first time in my life, grow a beard to start looking like the trucker so I can <laughs> blend in better. And you and Danny, you guys could be mistaken for brothers. <laughs> Danny's more the leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when he gets that mic off, I'm sure he's going to have a comeback for you. <laughs> he will. Okay. We've spent a lot of time together in this uh, in this mission and uh, we're very proud to know one another, that's for sure. You guys are two stellar men that, uh, you know, you give hope to the nation. You know, so many people have been discouraged and and truly feel like, you know, that our police and RCMP are standing with the government. But we know there's many of good, many of you good men out there, but you have been very public about it. And, and for that, we're very grateful. So do you want to, let's get right into this. Uh, you have just come out of a, a few weeks there in Ottawa, uh, you know, you were very involved, um, boots on the ground, and I just want to hear about your experience. Well, it was uh, certainly a very, very wonderful experience uh, until the end. Um, the beginning portion, as you know, was very, very peaceful on the part of the, the truck convoy. It was quite an event. Uh, they've come in huge numbers 
landed unfamiliar location, essentially crashed on site with no logistics available. And uh, Danny's team was there earlier and helping with humanitarian aid and acting as liaison with the existing police services to make sure everything was kept peaceful and um, and very well organized. And it took time for things to develop. And um, it was it was quite upsetting for us to see what happened near the end when a very, very wonderful um, gift from God, I guess I would call it, unification of Page Cross Canada came together, French, English, black, white, every, uh, every creed, every uh, color, every religion. Uh, people were just uh, really, really wonderful. And the crime rate had dropped. There is no violent crime whatsoever that we were aware of until the police showed up and moved in and the world had an opportunity to see what happened there. It's very disappointing. So what I recognized as well as that, you know, it was a lot of positioning from the government and rhetoric in order to inflate the situation and give a poisonous view, you know, through the media, with the help of the media, to the public in order to take the stand that they did. And of course, they brought in some brute force to make that happen. Those are no officers we would recognize as uh, Canadian police that actually um, are adhering to their oath. Traitors to the country, really, and uh, shameful behavior uh, that came out in those final days. Um, so I don't think this is, you know, we're so excited today that the Emergency Act was rescinded. Uh, we had uh, senators, I love Don Plett, and he was absolutely amazing. He laid out the facts and the truth on behalf of the truckers and those of you who were there supporting him. Uh, Denise Batters as well. I didn't get an opportunity to hear hers, but I hear that she did a very good job as well in bringing the facts. And I would say as the day was proceeding, Trudeau was probably weighing <laughs> what his options were. Uh, it's real mud on his face, and the Senate was about to turn on him. So this is not over. Um, I wasn't even discouraged, quite frankly, when the Emergency Act was put in place, because according to the Emergency Act, it states very clearly that our rights are not to be limited or abridged. And that's how we're moving forward. All of this is unlawful. Uh, what's your position on all of this and what can we maybe anticipate moving forward? Well, that was my purpose on scene to continue the narrative that I have been saying right from the beginning is that there is a blatant violation against our charter rights that are enshrined within our constitution. And this is what people are upset about. This is not a violent movement. This wasn't a coordinated, organized movement. This was just an organic movement of individuals across the country who have had enough of their loss of rights and wanted to be vocal on that uh, to our federal government. It's something we've been seeing happen for quite some time. And what I believe to be our last right that had not yet been taken away, which was the right to assemble peacefully, to protest peacefully, was in fact annihilated on those last two days. And in, in a, a substantial amount of force on behalf of our government agencies. Now, some people talk about, uh, keep mentioning the United Nations and involvement in these troops coming from other countries. I don't believe that to be true. I, I believe this is an amalgamation of um, police services from across the country, mostly Ontario, but some Quebec as well, that uh, were, were troops from our soil that were there. 
And, um, you know, uh, they, they are trained to do the job that they did. Uh, they are trained, um, generally, they are trained to be very professional. But information has come out that not only reveals from what we've seen that um, the amount of force used was certainly not conducive to the nature of the group that had gathered, but they appeared to be quite gleeful in the abuses that they took uh, against the citizens of this country. There's no question this was a peaceful protest until mm -hmm. the police uh, came in with the amount of force. Uh, the closest example I could use is if anybody's ever been to the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto, that it takes place every year, usually in August. Um, it's a family gathering uh, event where people are interested to gather together as, as family and people from all across the, the country show up to this event. And it was similar to that. It was very similar to that. As a matter of fact, it was similar to that, but, but, but more peaceful. Uh, there was no violence whatsoever and it was very loving in nature. Mm -hmm. And for police agencies to show up with their emergency response teams and heavy-handed equipment, tear gas and uh, um, uh, assault rifles, that's just not what uh, should be deployed in this type of situation. I can understand if this was a group of thugs that were burning down buildings, uh, certainly you want to you wanna come in heavy-handed like that. But that's not the people that I saw based on on my two weeks of observation. It was just complete um, abuse of power, abuse of authority. Right. And yeah, I wasn't alluding to that this was a UN mob coming in. I know some people had those planes and, you know, taking uh, sh shots of those and sending them out. I think that's a bit of fear mongering going in there. I think my intention is, is that I just see that any police officer who has truly taken his oath and is uh, committed to it. Uh, were definitely not represented in Ottawa. Uh, they were thugs that came in there. Maybe they were getting triple time. I don't know what would compel a person to uh, take on that position and uh, be abusive. Uh, the one woman who just wanted to go for a cup of coffee, I was very, very pleased. And this is why I'm encouraging people to file complaints, uh, you know, because there's a duty to follow through and investigate those complaints. But I'm very happy to hear that an investigation is commencing for her as well um, as the lady, the Mohawk woman, that poor lady that I think, believe her clavicle was broken, that got run over by the horse. And, and so we're going to hope and pray that justice is going to come as these investigations are uh, commenced. Well, the, the answer I can give you perhaps for justification, but it is not justification, is that these officers are seriously brainwashed by our state-sponsored media into believing that they're dealing with a certain type of individual or group of individuals based on the information that they've been provided with. But that being said, even if that were the case, um, seeing what you're seeing directly in front of you does not warrant this type of behavior on that exact situation at that time. Mm -hmm. You need to assess what's going on in front of you at that time and take the necessary course of action. But uh, I, think, I think where I say that mindset comes in is from the text messages that were revealed by some of the individuals that seemed to think it was a fun game that they were playing. This is no game. This is seriously no. interfering with people's lives. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm glad that Canadians had the opportunity to see 
um, the mindset of individuals involved in this and, and how we, we have a very broken system and that system needs severe repair, you know, substantial yeah. makeover and repair. I, and I believe it's because we have no accountability at the top of the uh, establishment. Well, There's you know, no I was just... What happens, what tends to happen is, is that fines will be paid somewhere in the future through the courts, but it's the taxpayers that are funding those fines. It's not coming out of the pocket of senior management in the organization. No, and I 100% agree. As you were speaking, I was thinking about accountability because, as you know, I've been appealing to the top cops here in BC for some time and uh, looking forward to maybe having another appointment uh, with them to say, hey, are you ready to have a conversation now because you truly are complicit? And one of the things uh, Jenny had just brought to my attention was, was it 10 years ago in, was it, Ottawa where a huge event and riots had taken place and the police again had overstepped and it's you know it ended up um, turning out that there was an abuse of police power and these people were were paid uh, substantially because of it uh, according to the courts that was that was the G20 protest Thank in you. Toronto about 10 right Right. The G20. So is that where we're going to be in another 10 years is, you know, the police are going to have to be apologizing for their behavior. Do, do you know how, how it, this is a top down problem for sure. And if the top isn't accountable, how do they expect that these officers on the ground, uh, you know, are going to be held to account as well? It seems like it's just a joke uh, as far as that's concerned. But you know what? I think Tides are changing and things are shifting and it's become so much more public that the abuse of power within the um, RCMP is is going to see more of the public accountability. We already saw it over all of the sexual harassment that was going on, uh, you know, within the RCMP and what was being exposed. And we've got to hope that this will one day um, have a huge impact on turning things around there as well and having good men of integrity running these organizations. This is disgraceful. Yeah, uh, but back at the time of the G20, the repercussions of that are essentially going to end up being similar to this situation where mm -hmm. it is not senior management that feels the uh, the repercussions of their their behavior and their actions. It's the taxpayer that is going to foot the bill. And there's where we have the serious problem. We need to hold individuals within government and government agencies and civil service accountable at the highest levels. And, and I believe it's going to be a different day because now it's being complicit, I believe, to treason, uh, to crimes against humanity. The silence of the top brass RCMP when they've been so well informed and we've got evidence that they've been so well informed has proven during the Nuremberg trials that that didn't go over so well for them. And we're going to push for, for justice so, okay, Vincent, let's bring uh, Sheila, uh, sorry, Heather, will you please bring Danny on an introduction and then we'll have a conversation and then the three of us will have a chat together. I think it's just so fantastic that we have two guests on Empower Hour tonight. Daniel Bulford became an RCM 
RCMP officer in 2006, and in 2013, he was transferred to the RCMP National Division Emergency Response Team in Ottawa. During his time on that team, Daniel's primary role was sniper observer, with the majority of his time spent supporting the protection of the Prime Minister and other internationally protected persons. On December 15th of 2021, Daniel officially resigned from the RCMP after speaking on behalf of Mounties for Freedom against the mandated COVID injections. Daniel is also on the board of advisors of Taking Back Our Freedoms. Welcome, Daniel, to the Empower Hour. Hi, <laughs> thank you very much for having me today. Good to have you here, Daniel. Do you like Danny or Daniel? Danny's fine. That's what I've been uh, called my entire life. Okay, Danny it is. And so you, sir, um, I was looking at the comments because you had come on before Vincent was visual there and the chat was just loading up with gratitude, uh, you know, for your moral stand that you've taken. I mean, my goodness, you know, to be on the sniper detail and the protection of the prime minister, a man that is not well loved <laughs> in this nation must mm. have in itself been a, a challenging position. But then what you probably saw on the inside uh, must have caused you some distress over time. Tell us a little bit about your experience. Like uh, specific to my time here in Ottawa, I uh, well, well, yeah, well, maybe the, first the entire eight years. Go ahead, sorry. Maybe, yeah, sorry. Maybe there's a bit of a delay on your on your um, volume there. Uh, I was going to say maybe what brought you from a position of uh, being an active RCMP officer to making that decision to stand down from your unit and then how you ended up joining into Ottawa and what your experience as well was there? Oh, well, first, hi, Vince, by the way. And uh, I take no offense to the leprechaun comment. That was something we <laughs> joked about just this last couple of weeks. Um, and when you said that Vince and I look like we could be brothers, it's a, he's only about a foot taller than me, that's all. <laughs> Um, the last eight years was, I had a good job. It was pretty enjoyable. I got to do lots, many interesting things. I got to be a part of some interesting operations. The protective policing was not overly exciting. The luster wore off of that fairly quickly. And then it, it was challenging for me on a morale basis, especially with the last two years. So I was act. I was already actively looking for a transfer within the RCMP to go do something different. And, and the last, you know, six to eight months was, or the majority of 2021 was particularly difficult because I, I most of 2020, I'll admit, I was pretty. Um, the majority of 2020, I wasn't really paying that much attention to COVID at all because I was still working. We were working in small groups. They had adjusted our schedule, but my everyday life hadn't changed very much. And I had already stopped paying attention to the mainstream media years prior because of, I mean, anyone in law enforcement or the majority of people in law enforcement know that the media is very dramatic and they, they tell the story that they want to tell and they propagate the story or the narrative that they want out to the public. 
and rarely do they ever report objectively. That's been my experience. So between work and most of my time off, I had a, a construction project I was working on. I, I wasn't paying attention to what was happening, but my wife was. And so she was the one who was feeding me information about what was happening. And she was the one who started to ask questions about the new technology. And so we were offered the, the shot very early on in 2021. And by that time, I had started listening to uh, some trusted sources of mine, like within the scientific community like I, I really enjoyed the the dark horse podcast with brett weinstein and his wife heather hang and they had been doing quite a quite a a good job i thought trying to be objective in regards to covid and the response and then that led me down different avenues um such as certain concerns regarding the new technology with uh, Dr. Garrett Vandenbosch. And then that led me to other people in the United States and in Canada, other science, uh, like Byron Bridal, people within the FLCCC and the Canadian COVID Care Alliance. And that's when I really started to look into things for my own. Now, they offered us the shot very early on in 2021. And I was kind of surprised that we were picked because we were not a high risk group for the majority. The majority of my team members were all 30, 40 year old, strong, healthy people, very active. So I found it a bit odd that we would be prioritized. And the reason that they gave us was smoke and mirrors. I, I It was... Mm -hmm you know, in order to make sure that we don't give COVID to the prime minister. And I thought that's ridiculous. Like I hardly ever have any one-on-one face-to-face -on -one -face contact with the man, you know, like I wasn't one of his bodyguards that's right in close to him. I'm always, I was always detached at a distance. And so at the time I just asked if it was mandatory and the answer was no, potentially in the future. So i we decided that we would just hold off and look into wait to find out more about it. And so that's when my wife and I started to really look at, I, I referred to it as like an open source investigation, looking at both sides of the evidence and overwhelmingly the official narrative was vague statements without evidence to back it up. No detail, mm -hmm. condescending verbal attacks of anyone who questioned their position and inappropriate analogies comparing to seatbelts and helmets and body armor, such as that. Whereas the counter narrative side was very high profile doctors and scientists that were speaking out, risking their entire reputation and career to do so. And they were willing to show their evidence and explain the how and the why. And so trying to look at it from, uh, an investigative mindset, trying to look at both sides. I always found that the the, the evidence was it's an it. I always say it, it was a no contest. Like it was very obvious to me that one side was far more credible. The counter narrative side was far more credible than the the official narrative. 
And then that also led me down the path of the suppression of treatment protocols, which that right. was, I think that was for, as a police officer, that was the hardest pill to swallow. Uh, sorry, no pun intended, but like the, you know, no matter what you feel or uh, what you believed regarding the vaccine, had it been left a choice, it probably would have been a non-issue. Like I, most adults are responsible for making their own decisions if they're allowed the opportunity to actually make an informed decision, which I know that's another issue in itself. But to deny life-saving treatment to people and to tell them to go home and to just wait until they can't breathe before they come to the hospital, that really bothered me. And so as that progressed, I was having these conversations at work and I was having these conversations even with um, some, some of my supervisors and there was a lot of, uh, there's good discussion, but I don't know if anyone was really convinced other than a small handful of people. And then eventually I even, I, uh, I was sending message, well, I, I emailed my commanding officer with my concerns, with all of uh, like the high profile doctors, like Peter McCullough, Pierre Corey, Byron mm -hmm. Bridal, a lot of the, the, the big heavy hitters in the COVID counter narrative. And basically pleading with him that like, I know that you have a background in overseeing large complex investigations like, please just consider looking at these people and the evidence that they're providing. I was ignored. Wow. And it, so I didn't speak out until the mandates came into effect federally. And then that trickled out to the provincial mandates. I, I wish I had spoken out earlier because I, I had a very strong sense that something was wrong and that it, there was you know, likely criminality behind it. But I also hadn't been an investigator for eight years. So I had a little bit of doubt as to my own assessment and whether I was correct. But I remember having at least two conversations at work when I was making the decision to move on. And some of my friends at work had asked like are you sure and my response i think almost my verbatim response was there are crimes against humanity being committed in canada and globally and we the national police force are not doing anything about it right and that was when i had made up my mind that i was ready to speak out publicly and i had already become i had uh, joined on with police on guard and then out of that went to went more in the direction of Mounties for Freedom because that was what applied more specifically to me. Mm -hmm. And we had discussed that someone had to speak out because no one was taking a stand, not from our organization, not from our union. So I felt like I had I had investigated it thoroughly enough that I could articulate myself well enough that I was comfortable with coming forward. And I had spoken with my wife about it at length, you know, ran all the different what if scenarios. If I do this, what's going to happen? How's this going to impact us as a family? But we both mm -hmm. came to the conclusion that like, no, someone has to say something because this is clearly 
not, this is clearly wrong and people mm -hmm. need to know, people deserve to know. And I'll admit, like, my position here locally in Ottawa as like, I mean, the media paints it as Trudeau's personal sniper. And I mean, I was not his personal sniper. I was a sniper on the emergency response team and we did protect him on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. But I think that, that definitely added a level of intrigue to my story that probably helped in garnering the attention that it did. Whereas if I had been like, if I was still working uniform up in the Yukon, it probably would not have had the same impact, but because I had that close connection, connection. to his protection, yeah. it definitely added to the, the, in, the, the strength of me taking the stand to speak out. Yeah, I believe you're right. And Danny, would you have been one of the snipers that was on the rooftops during these yes. procedures downtown then as well? That would have been, a, for instance, a, a task that you would have been assigned to. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I was up on those rooftops many times. Yeah, it makes yeah. me wonder, I, as I saw that transpiring, I, I wondered what these guys were thinking, you know, like even in their own minds. But it's interesting, as you were talking about, you know, appealing to your supervisor. It, I go back as far as July of 2020, when I first sat down with, he was assistant then, now he's Deputy Commissioner RCMP McDonald. And you were talking about the medications that were, uh, the treatments that were withheld. And I sat across mm -hmm. the table from him, gave him all the information on our health officer in Trudeau in a report that I'd written. And then I talked about the hydroxychloroquine and the trials from, you know, that were being done in Canada and at the WHO. And, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I'm meeting every week with the health officer. And I said, but this is murder. I literally sat across mm. the table and that's what I named it and crimes against humanity. I said his father had just passed away and he saw that the hospitals were empty. And I'm saying, you know, if this was from COVID, which I understand it wasn't what his father had passed away from. So wouldn't you want to take whatever treatment was available, even if you were a test subject? Isn't that the way that we, mm. we go about, uh, you know, uh, cancer treatments, etc. we would have taken any treatment at that point to see a loved one, to see if they would have survived. And regardless, uh, these were very, very safe treatments and they denied the public. And so anyways, I, that's, that's just my little bit on, on that issue. I've, I've shed tears over this, thinking about all the thousands of Canadians that died because they were not given these treatments and instead put on deadly treatments like remdesivir and the um, yes. ventilators, right? Very criminal. That's mm -hmm. why I say people are going to be held to account. So you came from this situation and, and thank goodness you have a wife that was incredibly supportive. I can imagine as a family making that kind of career decision and so from that point you take a step away from the RCMP over this you boldly become this voice for many as Vincent did a year ago and and others uh we have Bert here as well in BC and so then you how do you end up in Ottawa and uh then how did you end up getting arrested well I live just outside of Ottawa um and actually, I was, because I am already associated with taking back our freedoms, and because of my protective background, 
one of the jobs that I was going to be doing during the convoy's time in Ottawa when it first when it first spooled up was going to be part of the coordinating protection of some of the higher profile doctors associated with taking back our freedoms, mm-hmm. like Dr. Alexander and Dr. Hodgkinson. And uh, Vince was going to be involved in helping with that. And so was Brian Dennison, the Calgary police officer who spoke right. out. Mm-hmm. And so we, there was a group of us that were going to be responsible for that. And then on the, on the Tuesday night before the convoy arrived, I got a phone call from a friend who was um, helping volunteer, who got uh, brought into the mix of helping volunteer. And they said, like, we need your help. We need someone to help coordinate uh, the volunteer security for when the trucks get here. Mm. So, I mean, I couldn't say no, right? I mean, like, when every other profession failed to stand up for the rights and freedoms of Canadians on a large scale, the truckers did. Mm -hmm. So the Mm -hmm. truckers renewed my hope in Canada. Like I I was at a point where I was really, really upset with myself that I didn't get my family out down to Florida or Texas or Montana when the opportunity was there. And then when that truck convoy started up and you seen the, the momentum of the building as it traveled across Canada, that renewed my sense of hope. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I can't say no to these people. These people stood up for my family when nobody else did not even law enforcement. So I have to be, I have, I can't abandon, I I can't turn my back on them. So my first uh, meeting about the volunteers was Wednesday morning. So two days before the convoy rolled into town and oh, it was a, it was a big project. You know, I, I got there and it was just a handful of us sitting in someone's dining room table, trying to sort out, okay, who's volunteered for security, who's volunteered for all these different roles. And it was, uh, it, was a major event that was planned on the fly in a very short amount of time. And my experience with those same type of large events in downtown Ottawa, such as like a large scale Canada day, it's like it's months in the planning. And even Mm -hmm. for my own little sniper plan piece that I would have been involved in for a Canada day took a, a, a lot of time to plan to make sure that we had everything covered that we needed covered. And, and I was dealing with like paid professionals that I could delegate tasks to. Right. So this mm-hmm. was all volunteer and on a very short condensed time frame for um, an event that was probably bigger than any Canada day I've ever seen when that convoy first rolled in and that in those first few uh, during the weekends, especially. So, it was it was chaotic. It was very busy, long days, little sleep for for days on end. But just couldn't say no, right? Like I, well, there was there was like a sense of obligation. These people stood up, not just for themselves, but for me and my family. When mm-hmm. nobody else did, I'm going to give them everything I got. Well, it's just amazing, so that was right? The, because the mindset. That's incredible, and. Um, uh, 
Terenzio, could we bring Vincent on as well? We'll have this conversation together. And I know when you talk about uh, it's quite different, like with Action for Canada, the majority, like over 99% are all volunteer. And so you've got all these good people wanting to make a difference and coordinating them and having a plan in place. And as we put our chapters in 140 communities and growing will be on all 338, um, it's, it's having the vision for the mission. And this came together so organically and so quickly. And, you know, the government's trying to talk about how, you know, you know, there's big dollars behind this and foreign funding, et cetera. It's like, what a joke. This was the heart of the people rising up, finally feeling something they could get behind. Action for Canada has been reaching out to the business sectors and so many people, teachers saying 30% of you just walk off the job, you've closed down a school, they're going to want to negotiate with you. People do not understand how powerful they are within their own community. And so you're right, like this has just been such a gift to the nation and I know it's not done yet. And so the, here the, the two of you were, uh, you know, at headquarters, m- making these plans and making sure that people, not only, you know, top-notch people were protected, I'm sure that you were watching out and keeping an ear to the ground for citizens as well, and any nefarious things that bad actors would want to perpetrate. Um, so how, how did it go from there with the two of you? Either of you can uh, respond. Well, the, uh, I think the, the biggest concern that all of us had was exactly what you said in regards to an individual or a small group of bad actors who were going to deliberately try and infiltrate the convoy and discredit the convoy by, you know, carrying certain types of propaganda or, or even trying to incite violence or even trying to plant something that could be like plant a weapon or something that would bring discredit to the convoy. And I was speaking with the different police agencies on a regular basis um, from the OPP, OPS, to Ottawa Police, RCMP, and the Parliamentary Protective Service. And my interpretation of their position was that they all felt that that was the same Um, that was the greatest threat was that scenario. So my concerns were their concerns. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that was shared amongst everyone that was involved. Like, I don't, I don't believe that many police officers on the ground throughout that entire time actually felt any level of risk from the convoy or the supporters. I think my impression was that everyone was more concerned about, infiltrators coming in to try and start something that could then kick off into something larger. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it, I mean, it looked like and a, for, mostly, mostly it looked like a family, you know, fun event there. Uh, Laura Lynn was constantly, I was in touch with her and saying how amazing it is. You had street preachers back on the streets again, people greeting each other, hugging each other, bouncy castles for the kids. I mean, it definitely was no threat. Mm -hmm. And we believe very strongly that the Nazi flag was a plant because they weren't coming up with anything. They had nothing. And so the media orchestrated and then blasted that everywhere. And Trudeau started his rhetoric. He looks like a complete fool uh, to the majority of Canadians. I don't think as many people fell for that as we think. And, and so what led up to your arrest then, Danny? 
Well, I think because I had I had been involved in some of the press conferences and, and Vince as well, um, the media was really trying to portray us as like uh, using our policing and other people using their military background to like really be like these tactical mastermind planners behind the, uh, the convoy. And so when they were targeting organizers for mischief or uh, I think counseling a mischief, um, I was, I was anticipating that they would target some of us, including myself. So on the Friday, when the police action started, like when the, the major police action started, I was down at Rideau and Sussex near the front line, or I was at the front line and I was very, very peaceful and respectful. I had my hands up to my sides in a non-threatening manner. And I was just pleading with the Ottawa police emergency services unit to do the right thing. I was telling them over and over again, my wife was filming it and other people were filming it as well. And I was just pleading with them, like, you don't have to do this. You mm-hmm. don't have, I know what you're like. I know you're good people. Like, mm-hmm. please do the right thing. And I think I, I almost had a few converts. Like there was a few people that were just locked eyes and wouldn't stop no looking away. And so I was like, I was telling them a little bit about my story. Like I used to be a cop. I just left mm-hmm. the RCMP over these mandates. You don't have to do this. And trying to appeal, like, you don't have to speak out. You don't even have to cross the line. All you have to do is just say no. If all of you mm. just say no right now, this is mm-hmm. over, right? Like, and the Good restrictions and the mandates as a whole, right? Like, yeah. if the enforcement arm all collectively said, no, we're not doing this, it's over. The words from the, the talking heads in parliament mean nothing if they don't have anyone to enforce it. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was really trying to appeal to their sense of like doing the right thing. And you, know, you don't have to enforce unjust laws, right? Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? You might get like a, a minor disciplinary action, but just say no. That's all you got to do. Like, just that simple. Just say no. And, uh, and then I got pulled away to go do uh, kind of a hasty press conference um, at the Lord Elgin Hotel. And right after I was finished speaking there, my wife showed me her phone. And it had a message on it saying that the, the news was reporting that the police were looking for me to arrest me. Wow. And I knew like, okay, well, this is, I'd rather, I'd rather just get this done. And mm-hmm. also, I mean, it's a little, it could be a little bit symbolic too. So I, I walked back down to Rideau and Sussex where I knew that the bulk of the police action was, and there was a, a couple of people following me, uh, with cameras and first I walked up to where the closest police were but it was the guys all dressed in green and I like I tried I tried to explain who I was but they they weren't really listening I think who who were those boys in green they were what the Sûreté de Quebec oh okay the Quebec Provincial Police yeah so then I was like well this is a waste of time so I I walked across to another location and I found it was, it was almost, it was perfect. It was, um, it was a line of RCMP officers. So I was like, Oh, well, that's fitting. So I walked up to the line and I just said, look, I hear you're looking for me. I'm here to turn myself in. 
And then I was arrested for mischief. Yeah. Right. And I understand that you were released without any charges. It's an intimidation yeah, tactic, correct. right? So many, the majority of it, except for Tamara. Do we have any news on Tamara and how she's doing? Um, I'm sure she has good lawyers on her side. Uh, will she be released soon? Well, I don't know exactly how much I am allowed to divulge. Okay, fair enough. Um, because of due to just due to privacy reasons, but she's still in custody. And yes, she does have a, a team of lawyers that are helping her. And okay, I'm good. very hopeful I know. that she mm -hmm. will be released soon. Okay, good. Thank you for that. We want to use discretion as well, uh, but I know that that would be a question on a lot of people's hearts and minds. And um, so, Vincent, let's bring you on, and then we're going to do, I know there's going to be people with some questions. And uh, so, Vincent, what would you like to add to this conversation as far anything that's on your mind, but also I want to know if there's anything that you can report on any plans moving forward. We know this isn't the end. Uh, you know, the government may have been successful in this round shutting it down, but it didn't shut down the people. I think it just has emboldened them more and made them more intent uh, because the, ex the level of the exposure of corruption and evil was made more prevalent throughout these last few weeks. Yeah, I guess two issues that I'd like to touch on um, specifically were, uh, first of all, when the, when the moves were made by the police, specifically with the issues of advancement or threats that were made regarding charges or the, uh, the refusal of humanitarian aid, either refueling their trucks in the minus 25 degrees mm -hmm. Celsius weather or um, the threatening of public members for assisting by bringing in food or um, water, the uh, confiscation of food from the police, uh, by the police uh, from these people, it was significant. So the, the big issue was walking the perimeter in an uh, observing capacity just to see what's going on, keep eyes on, um, is there any violence that's going to break out? Because that was a really a, a main mm -hmm. concern. And spending, I, I just spent so, so much time walking that I was wearing my feet right out. And at the end of the day, sitting down to see what is our state-sponsored media saying about this event. And it is an inversion of reality, an mm -hmm. incomplete inversion between what you see going on there and what the media, the, the state-sponsored media, is telling the rest of Canada what is going on. It is a complete lie. And there seems to be no question in my mind that the collusion between our government, uh, members within our government, our state-sponsored media, and others collectively, and I suppose we can bring the World Economic Forum into this, uh, working collectively that there's no question from a police perspective that there should be a substantial, significant investigation launched into what is going on between these agencies, because mm -hmm. uh, clearly there appears to be an overwhelming amount of evidence to suggest a criminal investigation of epic proportion should be launched oh, sure. into this. So that was one issue. Mm -hmm. The other issue is I've never seen in my life before ever a 
a movement, a group of people that came together from all across the country that don't seem to know each other. I didn't know anybody there other than occasional friends that I bumped into um, that just came together and made it work and got yeah. the food done and the, the toilets looked after and the, all the logistics looked after. I don't know how, how they were able to do that. that was incredible because I can tell you our government could never ever operate at that level of efficiency at that price, you know, yeah. uh, you know, for what it cost them to set things up and how quickly they did it and how efficiently they did it. It was amazing. And I'm, I'm confident that the police agencies that I've, I've seen operate there are going to spend an infinite amount of resources trying to tie this together to some mm -hmm. kind of a web of terrorist activity working all around the country and other countries. It's not going to happen because that's no. not the way it happened. It just happened organically. It just came together. So, this was a grassroots movement of lovely a, people. Yeah. I mean, weren't we all brought to tears, everybody on this call, when you saw the truckers coming from one town to the next and the greeting and the outpouring of love and resources and money and food and generosity? I mean, we became fast friends. And wouldn't you know, I mean, there's Justin Trudeau. He likes to, you know, have his his rhetoric, um, you know, call everybody racist. But isn't it funny that none of us cared about the color of anybody's skin or or the faith that they practiced? We were coming together for the greater good, a common good for the nation and the future of our children. Yeah, and uh, the other thing that was quite significant was the manner in which this was all set up felt so good, this bringing together felt so good that you couldn't help but think, why wouldn't the front lawn of parliament, including the roadway, just permanently be affixed with these type of food establishments and uh, entertainment establishments where people from all over the country can come together on a regular daily basis at any time and just bond in a patriotic manner of hey, we're here at Parliament. We're here at the at the um, the core of our country. You know, the capital city, and let us rejoice and let us sing that national anthem hour on the hour. It was just so wonderful. So that was a fantastic thing to experience, and that really ended was. when the yeah. large contingent of police arrived to break up what was clearly a peaceful protest. This is going to be the beginning of something beautiful, though, right? This is going to be a patri patriotism for Canada. We're not only going to be stuck in a rut talking about COVID-19. We're, we're beginning to have a voice to talk about what came before this. What were the steps that the government was taking to chip away at our freedom of speech? It came with Bill C-16, right? Allowing biological men into women and pri children's private uh, spaces. It came with the comprehensive sexual education program from the UN infiltrating our school systems. It's coming with critical race theory that's meant to divide our nations and give more global control, talking about land rights when the government doesn't control about care about land rights. They care about total control. There's so many things that we were faced with prior to COVID-19. And now my hope and my prayer is, is that 
people who would have called us conspiracy theorists two years ago will now turn around and say, you know what, you were right on this. You've gained our trust. I want to hear more. I want to talk about these issues and that we can go back and really have a good conversation. You know, my platform that we're based on a Judeo-Christian nation based on biblical principles, and it really does set us apart from totalitarian governments. And and it's the faith principles that have uh, been foundational to a free and democratic society, giving you the choice to be unbelievers as well. But you get a certain freedom here that you're not experiencing in countries under a different political system and a different faith system. We need to continue to be a hope to other nations, that beacon of hope, that lighthouse. And I see that that is the direction that we're going. That's going to be the other side of this. There's going to be a patriotism and a love for Canada and an embracing of what our founding fathers gave us like any other time in history. And I'm looking forward to it. So can we, uh, Terenzio, can we get to a few questions? Uh, we're at the top of the hour here, and yes. I'm, I'm just grateful for this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us, gentlemen. Um, if we could just have people virtually put up their hands, and we'll go and choose people one at a time. Joan, are you there? I am here. Thank you so much. So I just want to thank all of you tonight for coming together. Um, I'm really grateful to have this opportunity to have this discussion, particularly with Vincent and Danny. Um, I was in Ottawa the Friday before all heck broke loose. Um, my mom wanted to go and I said, okay, let's go. Let's just do it. And it was in our hearts. We both just like, I called in sick to work that day to go. And when we got there, it's just as you know, you two are describing that sense of it feeling like it was a big Canada day celebration um, one of the truckers took me in and gave me a bowl of soup. He'd kind of given me a hard time because he was kind of feeling me out about a question I had asked uh, about some material that they had done a sign on. And then he realized I was the real thing. And he said he gave me the soup was delicious. It was fabulous. And they were cooking in their tents. And he said later on, he goes, when you get hungry, come back. And he lifted the lid of the barbecue and showed me what he had. And there were so many smiling faces and friendly people and hugs. And it was the most positive thing that I have experienced even mm -hmm. prior to COVID. It was just such a beautiful thing. So we all have these videos of this joy, this laughter, this unity. Um, now, after everything's gone down, there's YouTubers who have significant YouTube channels who are being threatened to remove their videos so the truth isn't out there. Um, either Vincent or Daniel, where do you kind of see that going uh, with people? We we have the truth. It's all on our phones. Like, how is the government going to stop that? Because the media, like you said, is showing the other side of some not even real scenario that's going on and what they're telling to the media. Um, but we all have something different. But what do you say for those who are on these YouTube channels that have these videos that are being threatened to uh, take their stuff down and stop promoting what's really happened there? Annie, go ahead. <laughs> I'd say uh, share it. Share it regardless. Share it on multiple platforms. And all these companies that are complicit in this censorship are canceling themselves. The what those truckers started is a legitimate global movement and 
our government is going to cancel themselves if we just keep doing what we're doing and stay out of the way. They're the ones breaking the law, not us. And all of these big platforms and uh, legacy media corporations that are complicit, they're going to cancel themselves too. And I think it's just a matter of time. Just keep sharing. Keep sharing our story, showing the world the truth. That's what that's what I would say. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Thank you for that answer. I know Action for Canada, as you know, have been active serving the notices of liability to media personnel. And within communities, uh, we're getting we're starting to see a, a, a ripple effect from that. Uh, we want to make sure that they are all held to account. Uh, this is a good time to download this information and then, you know, end up posting it on another platform to keep the message moving. Uh I'm going to ask just another question here, and I'm going to, Terenzi, I'm going to ask you to share my screen in just a moment. So the question from Toril is, does anyone know where we are at regarding the demands the truckers put forth and the convoy status? And part of me would say, well, man, I think it's had a powerful effect, and we can see how it's been shut down and and Trudeau has been forced to retract uh, the measures, even though they were cleared out. He was losing popularity, and he was losing control in the Senate. But I'll let either of you, and then they said also uh, very concerned regarding the federal digital ID. And if I can just share my screen for a moment, uh, this is something... Are we on there? Can you see? Uh, Yeah, just uh, need you to. Yeah. okay, got it right there. One second. Okay, so this I came across today. Somebody had sent me an MP4 through email and I quickly threw it up on on Rumble and it's digital digital ID is the objective. I've said to implement a social credit system. And this guy is the president and CEO of the Canadian Banking Association. I think he should go to jail. And so they they talk about uh, basically uh, people's hard-earned taxes is what I'm saying. The greatest heist in Canadian history has taken place since Justin Trudeau came into office because he's been pouring billions of dollars out of the country to impoverish this nation in order, because I said that's the key to an authoritarian government's rule. And then you go in and you need to have control of the citizens. And so essentially that first step has been done through mandating vaccination and the vax passes, which is going to turn to this digital ID. And I won't play the video for you right now. It's on our, our Rumble page, but I will be putting it in an upcoming action. And he's, of course, saying, oh, you know, this will ensure greater security of your assets. They lie through their teeth and they spin this web. How do you feel about the provincial uh, leaders removing the VAX mandates and that this threat of the uh, federal government bringing in this digital ID? Do you have any comment on that? Okay, so with the truckers mandate, it's very clear. Some people think that uh, that this is a big loss, that the, the truckers got kicked out and everything's been disbanded. Let me make it very clear. Uh, we've already talked about what happened and how the buildup occurred. And what the truckers have accomplished, the government has failed to have any discussion or negotiation with these mm-hmm. truckers, but that's okay. Uh, they, they wanted this mandate met, and I certainly agree with um, uh, this, uh, th- these things that they're interested in. I have these issues as well. But what the, these truckers have accomplished is you have to imagine a huge boulder sitting up at the top of a mountain range, 
And they were able to pry that and flip it and get it rolling down the hill. They have created substantial momentum across this country, across North America, and across the world. We've mm-hmm. had over a billion people watching what's going on, and that momentum has not only grown, it is like an avalanche coming down the hill right now. And we have not uh, seen the type of action we've been seeing in the last 48 hours We have not seen that type of movement from our government in the last uh, number of years. So uh, as this avalanche continues to flow, we're seeing many, many politicians come forward, asking pertinent questions, um, issues coming out. We haven't even touched on the issue of the insurance companies noticing the uh, some 400% in deaths across certain countries as a result of uh, vaccination issues. Um, so, so information is coming forward that at this point cannot be stopped. Mm-hmm. There's just tons of information coming out, video coming out about the behavior of our government, things going on in the U.S. pushing forward. There's huge, huge momentum. And I suspect uh, in the next days to come, we are going to see the continuation of this momentum that was started as a result of this convoy. So that's how I'd like to address that issue. Have those mandates been met? Well, everybody's woken up and they're certainly looking at everything that was written down. Everything is is going to come into play. It's had a huge impact. Absolutely. I say the toothpaste is out of the tube and there's no putting it back in. And uh, we're just going to keep moving forward with the momentum, you know, that we've had. We're on the side of right here. We have these guaranteed rights. Okay, so that question, the second question about the uh, digital ID, um, I, how do you feel about that? Uh, was that any part of the conversations? Uh, well, I would have to say one thing on the digital ID issue. For that large number of people like myself and Danny and others, who have had their finances locked by the government arbitrarily for no reason whatsoever, just because uh, being cancelled that way. Um, people are going to really wake up and understand that when you go to a digital ID type system where, where you're going to need the permissions to do anything the government will be allowing you to do, um, the, the world is now waking up to the effects of that, such as mm-hmm turning you off, shutting off your finances. Once you've experienced it and the world is now talking about it being shut down, you can bet that people will start paying attention. And I think they're waking up very quickly to that issue. Yeah, very well said. And knowing that so many people right now are actually experiencing the um, the consequences of this firsthand is, is a real wake up. And uh, that that people, you know, can no longer say, oh, you're a bunch of conspiracy theorists. It's like kind of like what now you need to get involved. We need to get amazing people ready to run for office and get very well organized. Okay, uh, Terenzu, can we bring somebody else on for a question, please? Yes, next we have Candice Elliott. Candice, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Candice, what's your question? Hi. Oh, I just want to say thank you. First of all, I'm just incredibly grateful to everyone's effort and and Tanya for your longstanding effort in staying uh, on top of this stuff for many, many years, I understand. Um, So I'm worried (laughs) about you two that have had your finances 
frozen. I did hear in an announcement today that the RCMP is frantically um, uh, ending that, but I'm wondering what the situation is for you. Well, um, fortunately, how's your, how's your situation? Well, my account was unlocked yesterday, oh. along with a, a number of others. I don't know. I don't know if that's reached everybody yet, but there was a, a handful of people that I spoke with yesterday when I found out mine was unlocked. And then I spoke with a number of others who had experienced the same and uh, mm -hmm. some most had been unlocked. Not everyone. I'm hoping that's just a, 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 a timing process and that everyone will be in the same situation. I think they overreached obviously. And then the banks were complicit and then that garnered so much outrage that people flooded to the banks, even people that were not affected as a result to try and pull what they could and express outrage that the banks would do that without mm -hmm. court order without people like even against people who hadn't even been charged with anything. And I think that is what generated probably a lot of pushback from the banks to the government saying, whoa, 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 we're going to, we're going to completely go out of business here. If everyone decides to pull all, all of, all of their money out because no one trusts the government or the banking institutions anymore. So it was a small victory yesterday to get those unlocked. And I'm hope I'm hopeful that, anyone who hasn't who's still in that position will will only be very shortly yeah it's very very disruptive and, that, and very and disturbing that applies to myself as well also my account had been just recently unlocked and um yeah can you name the banks what were the name of the banks the institutions i think td bank and rbc i've heard are involved in this I was with CI. I was with CIBC. So right. yeah. <laughs> I'm not anymore. <laughs> no, you know, and it's it's like where do we go from there? This is a huge wake up call for everybody. Uh, you know, when I when you get an opportunity to listen to this uh, Rumble video that I've put together with this, you know, the uh, president of the Canadian Banking Association, it's disgusting. It you you can see that we've got an again an opportunity to hear to uh, see blatantly what's going on and do something about it, and we will need to do something about this. I'm hoping and praying. I've heard rumors sometimes that there are others who are talking about opening up private banking systems, ones that the IMF and uh, World Banks will not be able to uh, touch. But we'll, we'll see where this is going to go. None of us has a magic ball at this point. All right, Terenzio, can you bring on another question, please? Are yeah, you guys I think good it's for also good important to note that uh, all of the major banks in Canada uh, have met with the World Economic Forum back in 2020. Right. Yeah, that's not a shock or a surprise, is it? Uh, we've, you know, they've tended to get the name the banksters for, for good reason. Yeah, even all the propaganda. I don't know if you stand in the TD Bank, but I wish they'd take down all their TVs. I got to change banks as well because I don't want to stand there and look at all their propaganda. They're so on with the global uh, messaging that it just makes me sick. And so I think that's the state of the banks and we've got to figure something out. All right, are you guys good for a couple of more questions? You good for that? Okay, right. Terenzio? 
Yep, next Thank we you, have Candace. Paulette. Okay, Paulette, welcome. What's your question? Thank you, you very much. I have been watching. Um, my job has been compromised because I chose my life over my livelihood. Um, and I thank you so much for the courage that you've taken to, to speak publicly. Um, the, the way that the, the media is portraying it, and even on the YouTubers, I've been watching Viva Frey a lot, uh, about the charges and uh, Pat King, Tamara Leash um, in jail, that this sounds serious. We had a heavy, heavy hammer. I cried on Monday night. Uh, I cried on the 14th and I cried on Monday. And I'm just wondering, it, it seems to have been a tactic to scare people to stay, uh, stay quiet and stay in their homes and, and not go and protest. Two questions. Would you recommend uh, people go and protest in Ottawa when they're talking about wanting to keep an eye saying that things are not done? And the second uh, as it pertained to parliamentarians saying that they had uh, security issues. And do you think that was propagandized in order to satisfy that this was more than um, what was going on with protests for freedom, that there are uh, other elements? Like you said, it was created. Do you think it was done that, MPs wouldn't, like we're talking like they knew something that Canadians wouldn't know or that is it possible they knew something you wouldn't know? So there's two questions. Do we continue to protest? What's going to happen if we get put in jail? The hammer came down. And, and do you think there was actually security issues that were going on that we won't know about? Well, I... Every individual has to make a decision as to what they are comfortable in doing. I think we can definitely continue to advocate for our fundamental rights and freedoms, and we can continue to operate within the confines of the law. Uh, I think we need to be smart about our how we go about it so that we don't elicit that same response because I know that was, uh, you know, that definitely rattled people because uh, we've never seen anything like that before. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of my preconceived beliefs about how the government and how the police worked were shaken after last Friday and Saturday. I don't have the same, I can't speak to how the police will behave with the same level of confidence that I could before. Um. But I do think a lot of the rhetoric that we've heard from officials has been intimidation tactics, and it's been pretty effective. Um, I think you hear everyone talk about grassroots and organic. I think that that is probably what was the greatest benefit to what occurred over the last three weeks and will continue to be. I think that more and more people have 
seen the level of corruption that is within our existing systems and the level of outrage that Canadians have shown and or that they've been exposed to. And what we've seen globally is like there is a response now that mm-hmm. there there's going to be plenty of opportunity to voice to to stand up for your voice. And I think I myself I don't feel like this is something that we can give up on. Right. As long as we're careful about mm-hmm what we say and what we do and we stay within the confines of the law we are showing the world how to do it properly that we Mm -hmm. are the lawful ones and it is our government who is breaking the law right and i danny that's the best advice i can give you yeah danny and i would agree with you i think that's essential that we continue to do this because the momentum the one of the reasons why three of the liberals turned around and spoke out against their government two weeks ago was two reasons. One was this massive movement of public display of opposition to what was going on, where they were probably starting to feel a little bit concerned where, you know, they felt pretty secure following along uh, lockstep with the government's tyrannical moves. So then we commenced four weeks ago, a letter writing campaign to all of the liberals saying you are going to be held complicit to treason and egregious crimes against the humanity and the citizens of this nation for going along with the government. And so think about that, how they were feeling about this huge public display. Now they're getting their inbox filled with these emails saying you're going to be held accountable. They need to start checking themselves, right, and saying how much longer am I going to go along with this? They got emboldened again when Trudeau came up with uh, launching the Emergency Act. And wouldn't you know, those three ended up voting in favor. Wonder how they're feeling today. Vincent, what's your view? Uh, I wanted to reiterate what Daniel had just said. And I find that the most effective methodology uh, is the methodology demonstrated by this truck protest and the manner in which it came together. If you get together with a group of people who have the courage and the ability to shed light on the truth and bring forward an idea where you can protest effectively and peacefully, keeping in mind what peaceful is and adhere to that, which I believe was done in this, this last uh, truck uh, trucker convoy protest, you will shed some light across the country and people will see your courage and will see your efforts and will see the effectiveness of what you are doing and it will become contagious and it will become contagious across the world and that is what we need we need this contagion to stop this this virus we are dealing with is the problem within our government and the association with our um, state-sponsored media acting in the manner that it is and we need tremendous change in this country. Uh, I'm not talking about any particular political party. I don't wish to uh, speak to political parties. I don't care about political parties. I care, and I have taken an oath, as has Daniel, I've taken an oath to the constitution of this country and my, my not only my oath, but my loyalty is to the citizens of this 
country, mm. not to the government. And I believe that the citizens of this country, if you want your freedom, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to push yeah. and you're going to have to be visible and vocal. And the most effective means right now is to do it peacefully with love and kindness towards your fellow man. And that will spread like a contagion. Find your strategy, find an effective strategy, and others will follow. Mm -hmm. Thank uh, you. Just one thing mm -hmm. that that was one thing I'd like to just follow up that follow that up with was if you look in history, because I saw someone uh, uh, someone had mentioned something in the chat regarding the Soviet Union, and that and that clicked on my memory about if you're a student of history. All of these authoritarian regimes come to power because the population allows them to. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I, I know we all feel so strongly that we cannot allow this to, to degenerate any further. The time is right now. I, I don't believe that if, if we continue down this path that we have seen over the last two years and especially within the last few weeks... I don't know how you recover from that. We, we are absolutely in an essential time in history. Uh, you're exactly right, Danny. And this is the time we've been saying forever, what are the masks? They are a sign of the government seeing who is, remains in compliance, who is, remains in, uh, oppressed. And so one of our main objectives is is simple thing, take off the masks. It's not that difficult. Lots of us are shopping and, and living our lives. I haven't used a mask for two years. And, uh, you know, I've challenged those who have challenged me, but I did it successfully, lovingly, and with knowledge. Knowledge is power. So learn and uh, you become powerful. Courage is contagious. And so we say be courageous. And, um, okay, uh, Terenzio, let's bring on another question, please. Yes, next we have Roxanne G. Hi, Roxanne. Roxanne there? Yeah, hi there. Um, first of all, a, a big, big thank you to all of you for your dedication to truth, freedom, and justice. Um, very straightforward questions and also a comment. Um, are you aware of one of the people who was arrested being blinded by the pepper spray? Uh, are you aware of the status of the four people struck by the vehicle? in Manitoba, the hate crime. And I just wanted to make a comment. I, I've written loads and loads of letters and I get on the phone all the time to MPs. I don't care if they're mine or, or not. I just do it because it's the right thing to do. Um, and if they say something wrong, I call them out on principle. But one of the things I always include is the fact that Many of us in the public are aware, and if they aren't aware, they should be aware of what a false flag operation is. Because then when they use that guise, oh, we found a 15-page memorandum, you can come back and say, well, how do we know this is not planted evidence, da-da-da-da-da-da. I think it's so important every time you talk to a politician that you educate them if they're not already, as they should be, educated as to what a false flag operation is. And, of course, we know about uh, agent provocateur. So uh, you can maybe comment on my comment and then the two questions regarding uh, what happened in Manitoba and if you're aware of the person who I heard was blinded by the pepper spray. Thank you. I, I, I don't have 
any information about anyone being blinded by pepper spray. I know multiple people were pepper sprayed. I don't have any information about anyone being blinded. And I'm not 100% certain on the status of the people who were struck by the vehicle in Winnipeg other than that it occurred. I don't have the details on their injuries. Okay, thank you. What we're going to do now is apparently there's quite a lineup of questions. And so we're going to do this challenge. We're going to give them one minute and we're going to try to see if we can get through a handful because it's such a privilege and an honor to have both of you on. And if you can bear with us a few more minutes, do you have that time? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So let's try to do this. Like I say, it's a rare opportunity. You guys go into a lot of interviews, but not often do people get to ask you questions. Okay, Terenzi, I'm going to take on that challenge. Okay. So everybody coming on that has your hand up, we're going to give you a minute. So please make it count. Okay. Next we have Renee. Renee, are you there? Yep. I'm here. I just wanted to know um, downtown where the restaurants, did they have to close or did they close on their own? It just, because, just because the Ottawa City Councilor is telling me that they were allowed to stay open and they seem to still be getting fines, like that iconic restaurant. I, only, I think that only happened after the Emergencies Act was invoked, I think. Now, many restaurants remained open and the ones that did probably had the best business they've had in two years. Well, anyway, I emailed him and asked him if he could maybe help that cafe since the police didn't understand that they're allowed to stay open. <laughs> so, yeah, I know Laura Lynn had all. reported on. Okay, thank you. Laura Lynn had reported on it as well as a, one restaurant owner was ready to close shop. And it was actually when uh, the Ottawa movement happened that he ended up receiving so much business, it kept him going. It saved his business. Okay, thank you, Renee. That was short and sweet. Next question. Next, we have D. O'Brien. D, are you Hi, there? Hi, D. Hi, can you hear me? Sure can. Yes. yes. Oh, thanks. Okay. Um, I live in Ottawa, so I was able to go downtown and see for myself what was really going on. But I'm faced with people every day who don't know the truth. They say to me, oh, they were planning to overtake the government. Oh, there were swastikas. And what is the best? Like if there was just a quick one line I could say to them. Turn off the news. Sorry? <laughs> You can tell them that you were there and ask them if they were there and tell them what you saw being there specifically and that you're not relying on the news, you're relying on your own eyes and your mm -hmm. eyes were being deceived by the news that you heard because it wasn't the same. Yeah. So they never had an intention of overtaking the government. No, right? never. No. Okay, because a statement no. was, you know. Okay. No. Okay. okay. We're going to go to the next question. I love that because Thank I said, you. turn off the news. <laughs> okay. Next one, Trenzio. Okay. Next, we have Sharon Frewing. Sharon, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you. Um, mine is a plea for Danny and Vincent to keep talking to police officers. I have police officers in my family who have not clued, they've not woken up. And um, 
I'm very concerned about that. So I would ask you to please keep talking. I'm sure you'll have lots of opportunities. And thank you both very, very much. Mm. Yeah, that's actually uh, an interesting concept. Danny and I both try that on a regular basis. And I'm almost thinking some uh, at some point may not be a bad idea for people like yourself who have family members uh, associated thinking differently that maybe at some point we can do a Zoom meeting specifically where you can uh, invite your family members to say, look, you're being given an opportunity to have a panel discussion and we would do a panel discussion and uh, answer any questions that those officers who want to chime in uh, who don't agree with our position and, and tell them the truth. Uh, I, I don't I don't mind facing off with 500 or 700 or 800 police officers who disagree with me because I know the truth and I know they know the, they know what they get on the media. So it would be a very uh, simple thing. So it'd be interesting oh, wow. to see if that could work. That'd be awesome. I'd be happy to host that. <laughs> we should work towards that. <laughs> Thank you, Sharon. OK, next question. Next, we have Colleen Smith. Colleen, are you there? Colleen, are you there? You should see a message pop up on your screen. There's not an unmute there. Does she need to be unmuted or can she do that? Uh, yes, uh, she should see a message pop up. I don't think she's seeing it. I'll do it one more time. Oh, there one more time. I think she just tried. Yeah. All I right. Saw that. I guess. There you are. Hi, Colleen. Oh. oh. Not sure what's going on. Okay, maybe we'll skip and go okay. to the next one while she sorts yep, that we'll out. Try you, we'll try you again, Colleen. Uh, next one, we have uh, Shelly Paul. Hi, guys. Uh, Hi, so Shelley. much respect. Hi. So I'm so grateful for you all. You're all so incredibly courageous. I thought I knew what courageous meant, but you have taught me a whole other level. Um, I was in Ottawa this past weekend for Saturday and Sunday. What I witnessed and what I experienced was absolutely horrifying. I knew I had to be there. Of course, I had no idea what I was going into, but I didn't care. I knew I had to stand up. Um, now, seeing what I saw, experiencing what I saw with the police, with their bag of tricks of all sorts of different kinds of weapons, they were basically torturing people that weren't dancing and singing Oh Canada. Um, I feel like I need to share what I witnessed. And I don't know what the most powerful way is to reach people to say, hey, this is, and I don't just mean the people around me. I mean, is there someone that I can write to or share my actual experience of being there and seeing it firsthand? I know many people have seen it, but I feel that every individual voice is so powerful. Um, to to share the the terror and trauma and experience i mean i had to come home and have a long chat with my 12 year old daughter about how we can no longer trust police officers and i never ever thought in my world that i would ever have that conversation now obviously you two gentlemen are very different and i would never paint everyone in the same brush but who I thought was there to serve and protect us, I actually had to change the narrative for her. And that breaks my heart. Um, so that's, that's an, an aside, but, you know, 
I just feel that I was there for a reason and I need to share my story and just how, what would be the most powerful way? Who would I share that with that might make a difference for us in some way? I suggest uh, a vlog. A vlog? Yeah, 100%. And then pump it out on as many social media platforms that you have. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that That's what I would do. Okay. Okay. And my strategy would be to um, suggest to people, there's two, two points that I take. One is I try not to tell people anything. Uh, it always, would always come across as a lecture. People don't like to be told many people to build. So I find that if you can find a way to deposit a very small seed into their brain by asking a very simple question, see if they can answer that question. So that's one method, Uh, just depositing a seed, planting that seed, that seed will grow. Uh, And another option would be to pick, you know, a few resources that you really like, maybe two or three resources that are fantastic resources. I personally, I, maybe my number one is James Corbett of the Corbett Review, but um, there are many, many other really good alternative resources. And uh, give a challenge to some of your friends and say, you know, for the weekend, if you can spend two days getting away from mainstream media and state-sponsored media and just spend two days looking over these two or three sites, just immerse yourself in there for an hour or two and with an open mind. And they may fall into that, that um, um, I call it a rabbit hole, the uh, having taken the, the, the pill that really enlightens them and, and they can eventually realize they've been deceived. So that's another trick. That's, thank you so much. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And Shelly, what I was just going to add as well, you know, I would love to, if you're agreeable, get your daughter's testimony. And I don't know if you could just do it by recording or video and send it, start sending it out to the RCMP, start sending it out to the Ottawa police and make an appeal to them saying, this is what, you know, how the, our young people are now portraying you. Is this the image uh, here in Canada? We would see this in a police state, not Canada. Just a suggestion as well. I love that. And that's the thing is I think, you know, there's different ways we can appeal to the police. And that is one of them that they really need to think about is parents are now going to protect their children and tell them a a different story from what we grew up with. I've always Mm -hmm. trusted the police. Sure. There's always going to be a couple bad apples, but you know, for the most part, the police protect us and, in a fail swoop, it, that's a completely different way I'm going to have to bring her up now. And I think police, it's, it's one more thing for them to, to really think about. Yeah. Anyway, you have to understand that they're... Um, She's 12. You have to understand there is what's called the Peel's Principles. And Sir Robert Peel had developed a number of principles back in the eight, early 1800s. And these are principles that police, uh, modern day policing uh, has to abide by currently. And there's a reason for that, a very substantial reason why we've gone from a military type operation to a civilian policing type operation and control with society. And uh, the one principle that uh, really resonates with me is that the police are the people and the people are the police. We need to have a very good, trusting, symbiotic relationship with one another. Otherwise, we will not be able to function well in society and there'll be a breakdown. So we need to have trust on both sides. 
And when I attended Adamson's Barbecue in Ontario, when um, Adam Skelly's restaurant was raided by 200 police officers and two teams of horses to shut down a brisket barbecue restaurant due to medical mandates, I saw that trust was completely broken then by the very heavy-handed techniques, similar to what we saw in the G20, similar to what we've just seen in Ottawa. And uh, Mm -hmm. trust is shattered. And once trust is shattered in any relationship, whether it's your marital relationship, your relationship with your children, your relationship with your teachers in your school, any relationship, once trust is shattered, it takes a long, long time to get back uh, trust. Uh, there is there is uh, much to be said about what's called the speed of trust. Trust takes a very long time to build and can be shattered quickly. And it's very unfortunate that these actions that were taken have now shattered trust. They have shattered your trust and they will need to be rebuilt. They mm-hmm. will. Oh, they, yeah. they absolutely will. Uh, yeah. Thank you so okay. much. You're that very wise words. Thank you. And Shelley, what I would like to say is we're trying to highlight youth every week to give them a voice. If you ended up recording your daughter, you know, a few minute uh, recording of this incident, uh, we'd be happy to share it on that next week's show. I think it's really important for kids to have a voice. So thank you for uh, coming on. If you get a hold of Sheila or Amanda in the chat and you provide your email contact, if this is something you'd like to do. All right. So thank you, Terenzio. Let's do three more, two more questions. And then I think we'll let these gentlemen get on with their lives. (laughs) All right. Next question from Liam. Liam, are you there? Hi, Liam. Are you there? Can you unmute? All right. We'll go to the next one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marion Taylor. I think Liam just unmuted. Liam, are, are you unmuted? Yes. Okay, there you are. Boy, you snuck in there, sure do. Okay, uh, mine's a quick observation. Uh, retired RCMP VIP section Toronto. I attended all the G7s and the G20s. What I noticed about this one is that at those other events, uh, the media were out to get the police. At this event, they were covering for the police. None of the major media were wearing their colors. The only people wearing their colors were Rebel, Rebel and Fox. And, uh, and the black bloc were throwing bricks at us in Quebec City. They were, they had spikes and, and ball bearings and bolts and stuff that they were going to throw at us. So, uh, but at this event in Ottawa, there was none of that. So um, I could understand what happened to G20 in Toronto because what the other thing that I heard was that the useful idiots from the universities were told to stay away from the downtown core. Whereas in Toronto, Quebec City, wherever the block was, those useful idiots uh, came down. The block mingled with them, took off their disguises. And at the end of the day, the police didn't know who was who. And that's why they had to kettle some of them. Thanks for your time. Okay, so uh, thank you for your service as well, Liam. So there's, I guess, not really a question there, but a statement. Um, Anything to respond to that, gentlemen? Um, I think to get uh, just, I know we're on a different subject, but if people want to see um, uh, another perspective of the G20, I suggest you go to uh, a video called Into the Fire, and it was a documentary done by Dan Dix, uh, and I think it was a very, very well done documentary on the G20 that shows the other side of the story. 
So there was certainly the police perspective, uh, as was just indicated. But if you want to see the, a lot of the illegal actions that were taken, um, I suggest you use that as some reference to get some insight into that. Thank you. And Sheila has just put that in. She, Sheila's amazing. It's just been put in the chat if you want to grab that link. Thank you, Vincent. Okay, one more question. All right, uh, Deborah uh, Melink. Deborah, are you there? Can you unmute, Deborah? I'm popping up a message. She needs to unmute herself. I don't think uh, maybe she's away from her computer. We can go to the next okay. one. Uh, right. Marion Ta Marian Taylor. Marion, are you there? Hello. Hi, Marion. Hi, Marion. Hello. We hear Hi. you. Um, okay, so my question is, okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for this uh, platform. Uh, really uh, learning quite a bit um, from you all. My question is, um, the World Economic Forum has clearly penetrated our government. Um, Klaus Schwab uh, gloats about his penetration into our government. As a Canadian citizen, this is very concerning to me because this, to me, uh, in, is interference in our governing body. Um, Christia Freeland, apparently, uh, from what I've read, is a director on the board of the World Economic Forum, which would be a conflict of interest given her position. Um, what, as Canadian citizens, can we do to highlight this issue because it's really being downplayed and what kind of actions can we do to have an investigation started into this? Well, there is an RCMP unit in Ottawa, in National Division, my old division, the Sensitive International Investigations Unit that would investigate government corruption. They are the unit who has investigated senators in the past for fraudulent activities or allegations of fraudulent activity. However, I don't know how realistic it is to have faith in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in regards to an investigation of someone as high profile as the prime minister or the deputy prime minister, considering the commissioner's lack of response to all of this so far. Um, I probably not the answer you're looking for, but like I said earlier, and I think Vince can relate that this last weekend really shook me to the core about what I believed the Canadian police were supposed to stand for. And I'd like to top up that statement that Daniel has just made. And I had asked the same question, quite frankly, to some very, very intelligent individuals who were very helpful over the last few weeks. And will explain the way it was explained to me because I had that same question. I really want to know how we can do this. And the way it was explained to me is that if you took a horizontal line 
horizontal line, and you can imagine that everything above that line represents the political system in this country, and everything below that line represents civil service within this country. And we have those two organizations separated by a membrane, and they're, they're, they're kept separate for a reason. And agencies like the RCMP, the OPP, the, the larger police agencies, they would sit somewhere just below that line. And that membrane is supposed to keep those agencies, the political agencies and the civil service agencies separated. And there is certainly a role within the policing agencies to take some enforcement action as required uh, by corruption or wrongdoing uh, at the political levels. And that one time, once upon a time, sometime in the past, that was an efficient, effective system that maybe worked. But apparently, it seems that the membrane has been perforated somewhat, and that the political system seems to have worked its way into the policing system, and the uh, systems within civil service have become strongly politicized. And that intertwining has made it very difficult for this type of investigation to occur as a result. My talking points over the last year have been very, very clear and obvious that it appears to me that I don't see any accountability at the upper levels of policing or in the levels of politics. And I don't see any transparency within those levels. So that is very, very frightening to me. And I think that is something that regardless of which party is elected, which political party is, is ruling this country, that we need to return to a system of transparency and accountability at those levels. Because what is happening is these terrible decisions that are made by government um, will eventually be settled out in civil suits. And that money comes from the taxpayer. It doesn't come out of the pocket of those who are doing the offending. And that is a problem. And I'm not sure how we fix that. I think it's something that needs to be discussed and at some point seriously changed. Right. Thank I think, um, yeah. oh, sorry, just one other complicating factor in the conflict of interest of the RCMP investigating um, high profile officials like the PM, deputy PM, would be that we're also responsible for their protection. So not that the United States is a perfect system, but you have different entities responsible for different things. Like the FBI would handle a corruption investigation, whereas the Secret Service provides the protection. Whereas in Canada, the RCMP does all of it, right? Like on the federal level. So they do the same job as the FBI, the US Secret Service, and the DEA all in one federal agency and, and others as well. But, you know, the applicable ones here would be like, it's a combination of FBI and secret service. So the fact that we're responsible for providing 24 hour protection for the prime minister makes it very difficult to also investigate the prime minister. I think that's also something that, should probably be remedied in the future. So That's there is more independence. 
That's a very good point, uh, Danny. That well, but that both of you bring up, and I know that um, meeting some at some points with um, other high-level RCMP officials. One of the things that they told me as I was getting an idea of how the RCMP system runs is that, of course, we have these deputy commissioners, assistant commissioners over the divisions in Canada, and commission commissioner Lucky is the top cop. And the understanding is, uh, who is the minister now? Is it is it still Bill Blair that oversees Commissioner Lucky as far as a minister in government? I, I, I can't recall if it's still him. But the point is, is that you have a minister who's who's over the commissioner. But the commissioner's duty is that uh, that job means that politics stop. That's where politics stop. It's not to enter the RCMP. It's to be kept separate. But um, Commissioner Lucky, uh, she was not top of the class when she was picked for this position, but she happened to be a woman and possibly somebody that, uh, you know, had some good negotiating with Justin Trudeau. I don't know. Uh, that's just an allegation or an assumption. Something's gone wrong there with uh, her commitment and her role. And so some of these top cops have told me that she has uh, capitulated and brought these social programs into the RCMP. For instance, that during the month of Ramadan, the RCMP are to celebrate the month of Ramadan. That's just all kinds of wrong. That's an Islamic celebration that doesn't belong in the RCMP. It's quite contrary, you know, to our system of governance in Canada. There's other things as well, uh, you know, that's coming from a top-down problem. So how do they break away from that has been my question, especially in a time like this where Commissioner Lucky has a duty to do investigations, I believe, and she's not doing that. She's had lots of opportunity in the last four or five years where there's been compelling evidence against Trudeau and uh, she has neglected uh, to commence those investigations other than just put a file number on them. So what about these deputy commissioners if enough of them got together and they realize what's at risk here in our country by continuing to go along with this coup uh, that's happening from within our government? If enough of them stood up and they actually held Commissioner Lucky to account, for instance, do we have hope there? Is there something that they could do? Well, I would hope so. I mean, if you get to that level, you're very likely near the end of your career anyway. Mm -hmm. And if you think that what's happening is wrong, why not take a stand and speak up? I mean, what are they going to do? You're probably right near the decision point of either you're going to retire or you're going to try and shoot for the commissioner's job. So yes. I don't think you have, maybe I'm in a totally different mindset, but why not go for it? If, if you feel that what is happening is wrong, you're, I would say you're obligated to do something about it. Right. I agree hundred like percent with you. Like, like, like Vince said earlier about living up to our oath, right. Mm -hmm. Our, our loyalty is to the, Canadian people and loyal to the RCMP if the direction that they gave us is lawful. Mm -hmm. Lawful. That's, but, I will just leave it at that. That's exactly, I love it. I love that we've come to agreement in this. This is one of the reasons I put out the appeal to the RCMP and provided all of their email addresses. Uh, please reach out to the RCMP across Canada and start appealing to them with your stories and start holding them to account and, and let them know, you know, that they are going to be held to account as well one day when all of this unfolds. And um, so anyways, 
the, the just to wrap up here, I would like to ask if you were both to give one message to Canadians right now as we sign off. Uh, Vincent, if you could start that off, what would your message be? My message is a message of hope. I have tremendous hope and I am so proud of this country. I have never been more proud of Canada and Canadians. So it is a message of hope and I see things improving. I, th I see things needing to be changed and I see us on that path now. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And Danny? You can't go ditto. <laughs> no. Um, be strong. Because mm. when you're strong, you don't have to be afraid. And live your life. If we all... So I have often talked about how if enforcement just said no, then this would be over. Well, mm -hmm. if the whole country just says no, mm -hmm. no matter what enforcement decides, it's over. Because I've, I've lived it. Vince has lived it. They never have enough resources to deal with regular day-to-day -day police operations. So if the masses were just decided, like you said, take the mask off, businesses open up, and we all just decided to live our life. And, and just live under the fundamental freedoms that is not granted by the government, but that we have from birth. They won't, they can't, they can't enforce it on everybody. The court systems are backed up. The police are backed up. None of them have enough resources. It would end if all of us just were said, nope, we're not doing this anymore. We're going back to life and we're going to treat each other with dignity and respect and no segregation and businesses can open and we can all just start living again, then it would be over. This, this has carried on as long as it has because of compliance. A hundred percent, all of us, if, uh, if people just understood their rights and that just by saying no at the onset and not complying, we would have never gone through the last two years. But the last two years have also been a gift to us. And we need to remember that we were a country that was falling well before COVID. And this has exposed it. It exposed the corruption so that we can do something about it. So take this gift, as they say, when you get, you've been given lemons, make lemonade. Let's do something great in this country together. We're not going to take a step back with all the advancements we've just made. So Vincent and Danny, it's been an honor to have you both on the show tonight. I know that everybody that's attended has been just so grateful to have the personal time with you to hear your stories. <laughs> Go Canada. <laughs> Wear this. Wear this proudly. Yep. Let this be your badge. Wear it. It is a symbol of freedom all around the world right now. I love it. Okay, well, thank you. I just want to say God bless you. God bless Canada. And this is for freedom. For freedom. We are going to achieve it. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. See you, Vince. <laughs> I will very soon. Yeah. Awesome.
Revolution. We are going to be in every town and every city, and we are going to build communities within these communities of like-minded people who are actually going to care for one another again and love on each other and give each other the help when they're down. We are going to use the, the uh, teams and the people that build within chapters to support our businesses. The government's actions are completely 100% unlawful. Judgment will again be found on justice and those with virtuous hearts will pursue it. You have a virtuous heart if you are here today pursuing freedom and righteousness. And then verse 23 comes along with a promise. God says he will turn the sins of evil people back on them. He will destroy them for their sins. I take great comfort in that because I serve a mighty living God who has allowed us to go through this season of discomfort because we as a nation have turned our backs on him and we need to get right. So I am just gonna thank you so much. I'm going to say God bless you and God bless